0: the time, all right? Take your Bibles and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, one verse there in verse 10. And while you're turning there, find Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. We were in both verses last week. Beating boredom. Beating boredom. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10. By the way, uh, how many know that Solomon is the author of the Ecclesiastes. Now, remember what we learned in Sunday school this morning, that uh, all the authors in the Word of God, the writers, were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So it wasn't their own private thoughts. They spoke as God gave them utterance. And yet God used their own uh, style in writing, whether it be uh, Solomon or anyone else, in the Word of God. And here we have in Ecclesiastes, uh, just real quick, sort of a summary. The book of Ecclesiastes... Is really a journal of a desperate journey, trying to find meaning to life. And look what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 9, verse 10. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. Paul says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, notice this, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God and the Father by I know, I think you know by now, I'm sure you know by now, that Jesus came to this earth, that we might not just have life, but abundant life. Thank God. In John chapter 10 and verse 10, Jesus said this, The thief comes not but for to steal, to kill, and destroy. I am come. Why? Why? That they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I have to tell you, folks, I'm glad for the abundant life. I'm glad that Jesus gave me not just life, but abundant life. I'm glad that God has placed me where I am in life because I serve a sovereign God. And I am so thankful, and Lord help me to never have time to be bored. To ever have time to be bored. And the sad thing for the life of me, and I know there are many people in our world, but the sad thing is who are bored, but what I don't understand is how many Christians find themselves bored with life. And I think the key here is to understand that when we find ourselves bored, when we think there's nothing to do, because somehow, I think Satan tried to convince us, there's nothing to do that really matters. Church, I want you to know tonight, whatever we do for God is never wasted. Ever. It is never, ever wasted. I mentioned last week two primary causes Last Sunday evening of boredom. Number one is overstimulation. More, 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 more. Uh, it amazes me that the world has bamboozled us to believe that more is better. If you got one, you need what? You need two. Got two, you need three. And it goes on and on and on and on. And the sad thing is this. When will we learn to be satisfied with what we have? Because more is not always better. It could be, but it's not always better. So one reason we're bored is because of overstimulation. I mean, let's think about this. We have more toys now than we've ever had. I mean, that phone. How many, how many brush your cell phone tonight? I mean, we won't leave home without it. And right there in the palm of our hands, a world of information. It, it amazes me. I, I, I have a Bible program on my phone. You probably do as well. And I, I use that. Uh, I always read every day from that. I, I Actually, I play it. It plays it out loud to me. Uh, Psalm 139. Every, every morning I start my day with that song. And it used to be when I went to the hospital to visit, in our waiting room, waiting there, I'd get my phone out and I'd read my Bible. I quit doing that. Because I look around, and guess what everybody's doing? They're on their cell phone. And, and I wonder, is it glued to their hand? Somebody told her some years ago, uh, somebody we know very well, and they had family from Chicago, from California, came to visit for Christmas. And they came privately to see their mother, who was getting up in years. And this lady told us we were there at my mother's house. I looked around, and everybody was on their cell phone. So many things, we are overstimulated. But the second reason that we are bored is because we are undercommitted. Now, I need to clarify something. Uh, I I think Nate asked me about it uh, two weeks ago. We we were not in service last Sunday night because of Mother's Day. And and Nate said, I said you you said 20% here, 20% there. And if you add all that up, it's over 100%. That wasn't my point. My point is that most whatever we do in life, no, no matter what it is, most of the time, most people are only twenty percent committed to that thing. a lack of commitment. So we have to be careful there. We need to be more committed and not realize, and realize that more is not always better to be satisfied with what we have. So we began to answer this question last week. How do we overcome that? How do we change the way we approach life every day. Well, again, we're looking at Ecclesiastes nine and verse ten. We'll be in chapter three of Colossians in a moment, but we'll just review a Number one, verse nine, verse ten, Ecclesiastes nine: "Whatsoever thy hand finds to do, do whatever lies close at hand." Now, remember, Solomon was writing this. He's tried a lot of things. Just do what your hand finds to do nothing in particular just do it and really what Solomon is saying is this that certainly includes the ordinary daily responsibilities of life make sure they get done second of all in verse 10 he says do it with all your might now understand this, folks. In spite of what some people in our nation thinks, all work is noble if you do it for the glory of God. If you do it for the glory of God. I know I've told this story several times through the years, but I remember some quite a few years ago, and I listened to Chuck Wendell preach, and he was introduced to someone somewhere one day, and, and, uh, Chuck Swindle asked this young man, said, what do you do for a living? He said, I'm an ordained plumber. He said, my vocation is plumbing, but I spend my time sharing Christ for his glory whenever I get a chance. And so whatever we do, it's noble if we do it for the glory of God. Now remember, Solomon didn't say, do it with all your might if you feel like it. He didn't say, do it with all your might if you want to or you enjoy it. He says, do it with all of your might, even if you don't enjoy it, even if you don't like it, and even if you don't want to be there, do whatever you do with everything you have. Do it with all of your heart. In almost every section of this series the things we've spoken about dealing with in our lives, and boredom is not unique to this. There is a very important theological principle here. And we need to understand that the God we serve is sovereign. And we are where we are because God has placed us here. God has ordained that for this particular time in our lives. It's ordained of God. So we have to realize we are what we are because we're there by the design of God. So number one, do what is close at hand. Number two, do it with all your heart, with every passion you have. But the third thing in verse 10, consider the brevity of life. How many would agree the older you get, the more you realize that? Ecclesiastes 9, verse 10. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. Now here's our focus now. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave. And notice that last three words, whither thou goest. Now most of us remember at least For the most part, the first half of verse 10, Ecclesiastes 9, whatever you find your hand to do, do it with all your might. Give it all you got. We like that. That's positive. But boy, that second half of that verse, you talk about a downer. But Solomon has been realistic in this journey. He doesn't pull any punches. Who wants to hear, you're going to die? Who wants to hear, we're going to the grave? Someone once said, I heard many years ago a preacher talk about this. He said, the last place we picture ourselves is in a casket. We don't want to think about that. In fact, it's a part of life we would rather ignore. The New Living Translation put it this way. Whatever you do, do well. For when you go to the grave. Think about that. When you go to the grave, there'll be no work or planning or knowledge or wisdom. And there we see again, when you go to the grave. Whose are you? Yeah. All of us. Now I got to tell you, that's an eye opener. But the fact of the matter, that's true, entirely true, whether we like it or not. If Jesus, Terry, we're all going to go to the grave. been quite a few years ago, no, I hadn't been saved very long, and uh, we were living over in the summertime, so we rented a house over there for a couple of years, and my mother and dad were over one day, maybe for a grill, I don't remember what it was, and uh, my dad and I were talking, and uh, my grandfather had a farmhand, his name was Boots Bowers, I don't remember his real name, uh, his real first name, they called him Boots. And Boots had died quite a few years earlier. And I I knew Boots as as a kid. I met him a couple times. And my dad made a statement. He said, you know, he said, I just thought about something. He said, when you're dead, you're dead for a long time. And I thought, wow, that's true. That's true. Especially if you die without Christ. But the fact of the matter is, we all end up there sooner or later if the Lord tarries. I don't know who originally said this, but I thought it was a good good comment. Somebody once said, everyone should go to at least one wedding a year and one funeral. They said, the wedding will give you hope for the future. And the funeral reminds you that much of what we worry about doesn't really matter anyway. Isn't it true? Isn't that true? There's a hymn in our hymn book. It's an imitation hymn, softly and tenderly. Have you ever heard it before? And part of the verse, one of the verses says this Time is now fleeting, the moments are passing, passing from you and from me. Shadows are gathering. Deathbeds are coming, coming for you and for me. When you go to the grave, Solomon says. Now here's what we need to remember. Life is not a dress rehearsal. We only get one chance. We only get one chance. And Solomon said, because we only get one chance, Do whatever you're going to do now. Don't put it off. Don't delay. Because sooner than we think, our moment in the sun will be over. James 4 verse 14. James says, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life, it is even a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. I can remember on at least one occasion, shortly after I was saved, about 22 years old, and I remember our pastor reading that verse. I don't necessarily remember the message he preached that day, but I remember that verse. And I thought, well, that's, that may be true for some people. But I've got a long, long life to live. Now, I know now I had no guarantee of the next day. But, you know, here I am now, at least 40 years later. And guess what happened to that long life? I look back, you know what I say about that life? It wasn't long. It's been a short life. And James says that our lives... Or like a fog that covers the countryside in the morning. And then soon, in the heat of the day, that fog is burned off. And the fact of the matter is, life is short no matter how long we live. And so, we should not be deceived in thinking that we have plenty of time left to live for Christ. Don't be deceived in in believing that you have plenty of time to enjoy your loved ones or do the things we know we need to do. You know when the best time to live for God is? Today. Today. It's the best time to live for God. It's the best time to do whatever we do and do it well. Do it well for him. And then no matter when our life ends, we will know we fulfilled God's plan for our life. So if you plan on doing some good deed, do it now. If you have a great plan, work on it now. Work on it now. Martin Luther once said that man should live with the day of his death black hearted before his eyes. Remember that day is coming. Because the bottom line is this. We need to be busy for God now. Do it now. So number one, do it with close hand. Number two, do it with passion. <clears throat> number three, think about how brief our life is. And number four, remember that you and I represent Jesus Christ in everything we do. Colossians 3 verse 17. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed... Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. What's that mean? It means that you and I, no matter what we do, we do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. As his representative. Whatever it is, whatever it is. Years ago, my bro- one of my brothers was involved in the dry- drywall hanging trade. He didn't finish it. He hung it. And he became rather good at that. And uh, they use a little router with a router bit in it, just a handheld job. And they kind of put an X on the floor where any receptacle boxes might be or any light switches. And they take that router, and they find the center of the box, and they route it out. And it, if you if you do it right, that drywall fit exactly right. But the problem is if you miss a little bit, you make a big hole, they are got to pay somebody a little extra money to finish an extra hole because the finishers are only paid to do so many coats. And my brother said one company he worked for, anytime time you did one wrong, you had to sign your name to it. Now, I don't know whether they docked your pay. I don't know how what the deal was. But you had to sign your name that I'm the one who did this. Routing of this hole, of this receptacle. So what if we had to sign our name to everything we said, everything we did? Could you imagine if, if there were name tags printed with our name on it and every one of our actions, good or bad, would have that name tag attached to them and everybody who walked by could see that's what you did. Now we'd all be in the same boat, of course, because sometimes we're not very careful about what we say. We're not being very careful uh, of what we're doing because we're not. We don't think anybody notices. But folks, write it down. God always notices. He always notices what's going on. But also think about it this way. What if Jesus had to sign his name to everything we said and everything we did? Every time we said a careless word, Jesus signed his name to it. Every time we thought something wrong, Jesus signed his name to it. Every time we murmured and complained, he would sign his name to it. That might get our attention. But you know what the truth of the matter is? If you claim to be a Christian, the name of Christ is attached to everything we do and everything we say. I can't for sure verify this story, but I read it many years ago when Alexander the Great was in power, a young man, a wrongdoer, lawbreaker, was brought before Alexander the Great. And the first thing as He talked to the young man about his deeds, and maybe the first time, I'm not sure, but sometime in the conversation, he said, young man, what is your name? And the young man said, well, my name is Alexander. And Alexander the Great looked at him right right in the eye, he said, sir, either change your name or change the way you live. Do you realize tonight, if we claim to be Christians, we are children of Jesus Christ. We are heirs and joint heirs with him. He's not only our Savior, he's our Master, he's our Lord. And part of our testimony is, we say to the world, if we preach this morning, we forsake everything we are. We picked up our cross and we are following him. In Acts 11, in verse 26, the last part, the Bible says the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Now Luke doesn't tell us who came up with that title. Uh, I don't think the Christians came up with that. They were called that. Not sure the Jews did, but certainly the unbelieving world did. And the word Christian, the the ending, that three-letter ending I A N, it means belonging to the party of. So if you're a Christian You belong to who? You belong to Christ. Now again, it may have been, at least in that culture, a way to demoralize a Christian. I don't know. But I have to tell you, as I read that every time I go through there, what an honor it must have been. Because the world was watching. And they saw these people... Who consistently live for Christ. And they said they must be Christians. They belong to the party of Christ. Church, whether you like it or not. Everything you say. Everything I say. Everything I do. Everything you do. Everywhere I go. Has the name of Christ attached to it. But we are Christians. We are Christians. Wow. Unkind words, huh? Harsh words. And all the rest. When we complain, guess whose name is attached to it? You know, let me, let me get on soap, but you know what what I don't like? I don't like to hear about Christians who go to a restaurant and give a waitress a hard time. Well, preacher, they were a lousy waiter. So what? So what? Doesn't matter. We're to be Christians when? All the time. Where? Wherever we go. Because whatever we say, whatever we do, wherever we go, the name of Christ is attached to us. attached to our excuses. Our lies, our flattery, any compromise morally, our laziness. The list goes on and on. And how many know that wherever wherever we go the name of Jesus goes with us? The name of Jesus goes with us. Whatever we do, good or bad, the name of Jesus goes with us. Jason played that song before service tonight, His Eyes on the Sparrow. And we know He watches over us. I think you and I would be more concerned. About the details of our life if we remember that Christ is watching us every day. I told you I read one Psalm 130 every day. And there's no place we can hide. David said, if I take the wings of the morning, when I get there, guess who's already there? God is. If I climb the heights of heaven, guess who's there? God is. If I go to the death of Sheol, the grave, guess who's there? God is. Whither shall I go? David has to flee from his presence. We cannot. We're always before the face of God. John Gospel, the first chapter, talks about Christ being the light of the world. And truly he is. But you know what Jesus said about us? Now that he lives in us, we're to be a light to the world. How is your light shining? What do people see when they see you? Remember, we always stand before the face of Christ. Number one, do what's with to the hand. Number two, do it with passion. Number three, consider how short life is. Number four, remember, we represent Christ. Whatever we do, wherever we go. And number five, be thankful i got to tell you, folks, if you're a child of God, we have every reason to be thankful. Every day. Be thankful for the big things of life. Be thankful for the small things of life. Again, Colossians 3.17. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We talked about that. But notice the last part. Giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Now, by the way, another way to overcome boredom is to cultivate a thankful heart. Brother Jack Anderson, many of you remember him. He's been in heaven now for several years. I don't think I've ever seen anybody quite like that man. He loved the Lord, loved the Word of God. But I never heard him complain about anything. About anything. When he first came to our church and began getting involved, we were uh, adding him to our church directory, and we left his name out. And I went to him, and I thought, "Oh man, you know how I'm going to explain this to him." And I never forget his gracious response. He said, "It doesn't really matter." I mean, I, I, I never heard him complain about anybody. Uh, Irene was telling me one time that uh, there was a program that they used to like to watch. I won't tell you who it was, but uh, <laughs> Irene said, and this guy was a good singer, and he said, no matter what he sang, he said, let's sing that verse again. <laughs> and let's sing that verse again, you know. And Irene said she was sitting there and complaining about it, and Jack said, Irene. We have no reason to complain. We're hearing the gospel singing. it's, It's great, you know. And I just never heard Jack Anderson complain about anyone or talk bad about anyone. He was thankful for life. And we have to cultivate a thankful heart. It's amazing. When I think about what we just read in Ecclesiastes 9... And here in, uh, Colossians, here, uh, when you think about the context of what Solomon said, uh, the pre, we're not going to read them tonight, but, uh, before you get to verse 9, Solomon said, Look, I want you to enjoy the simple pleasures of life. He said, You're going to die soon. You're going to go to the grave. So enjoy your food in verse seven, I believe that's his nine. Enjoy your drink. Dress up. Smell good. I'm paraphrasing, you know I am. Enjoy your wife. Enjoy the pleasures of married life. Because all of these simple things, Solomon says, are gifts from God. Simple pleasures. Food, drink, nice clothes, a happy marriage. Now, certainly the Bible does not advocate advocate being hedonism and neither does Solomon. But the idea is this. We are to enjoy the blessings God has given us. I told you I called Brother Roger last night there in Arkansas. He was out on the back patio. And his wife loves to feed birds. He told me that. And I could hear the birds chirping in the background. Man, what a great sound. God gave me the ability to do that. Simple blessings. So the question I have to ask myself, how much time do I spend giving thanks to God? i got to tell you, sometimes not so much. And again, going back to being overstimulated, We don't have time to slow down to give much thanks. But would you agree tonight, folks, every one of us have a lot to be thankful for? Amen? Every one of us have a lot to be thankful for. The birds in the air, the clouds in the sky. I think it was Wednesday night, Pam, we were coming from church and I looked in a rear view mirror, if I can say it right. And I can see a big orange ball in the sky. What a view! What a view! And guess who puts it there for us to enjoy God placed it there. Paul and Diane gave us a, a picture, uh, quite a large picture of a rainbow. Paul, you may not have known it, but you did. I understand it, brother, okay? And we love it. And so we, t- we had a picture that hung in our dining room for years. We took it down, and now we got a picture of that rainbow. And by the way, I want to tell the world we had it first. Hey, hey, man. <laughs> That's a promise from God. But my, And even to this day, any time I see a rainbow, I give God thanks. Folks, we've got so much to be thankful for. And by the way... I am not looking for that pot of gold. in then, Rainbow, I've got the pot of gold in Jesus Christ. I've got so much to be thankful for. What about your ears? <clears throat> now, some of you need hearing aids. I know that. <clears throat> Ruby, I didn't ask you. <clears throat> My dad needs a hearing aid. Some of you do. Some of us do. <laughs> Amen. But thank God for our ability to hear. So simple. And yet so profound. The ability to smell. Man, nothing better than frying chicken. Amen. Wow. And, and how many know it, it always smells better than somebody else's house? Isn't that true? Brother Daniel told me last night he remembers growing up rather poor, and uh, sometimes they didn't really have shoes, good shoes to wear. He said one day his dad came to him and Son, when you're worried about the shoes you don't have, think of it the person who has no feet. Your friends, your family. Oh, I think of my church. (laughs) My church family. Simple things. So I think it's important for all of us from time to time to stop in the busiest of the world and sing praises to God. And I'll guarantee you this anytime you do. Anytime you do, you come away refreshed. Don't know who said it. It's not original of me. But here's what they said. We don't get to choose how we're going to die or when. We can only decide how we are going to live now. Good words. Good words. One of our neighbors lived for us many years, and we remained friends until they died, both he and his wife, not at the same time, and I did their funerals. They told me one time, and he said, a friend of his came to him, and he said, uh, to my friend his name was Ray, he said, Ray, he said, I wish I knew where I was going to die. And uh, Ray said, well, why in the world would you want to know where you are going to die? And his friend said, if I knew where I was going to die, I would never go there. But the fact of the matter, we don't get to choose. We can only choose how we live. So boredom, it's not an issue of bad circumstances. Boredom, being bored, is really a disease of the soul And it's because we focus too much on ourselves. And that's the issue. That's the issue. And whenever we find ourselves becoming bored with life, especially as Christians, we need to crawl out of ourselves and renew our commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. And reach outside of ourselves and minister to those who are less fortunate. Because I think at the bottom, the bottom line is this. Boredom is a sign that we are living for ourselves rather than living for God. Let's stand together. So what's the point, preacher? If you continue to live at 20%, you will be miserable. You'll never be happy. You'll be frustrated. And you'll be bored. And you show me a 20% Christian, I will show you an unhappy Christian. So let's commit our ways to God. Let's commit our life to Jesus Christ, living for him. And I'll guarantee you will never be bored. Hammer glad for the abundant life tonight. Amen. Folks, I want to thank you tonight for coming. Uh, Don't forget to...